0: Welcome to the Lay the Course podcast, a show featuring women in business who every day are pursuing their life's passion through their work, inspiring stories by incredible women. And now here is your host, Kelsey Stein. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's episode with Sarah Duet. She is an artist and anagram expert located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Sarah, welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So tell me a little bit about yourself and about your work.
1: Yeah, so so like you said, I'm an artist and I work with the Enneagram and um, it's it's kind of hard to label everything, but I think, you know, multidisciplinary artists would be accurate. There's visual art, there's some music, mm-hmm. uh, some graphic art, some writing. Um, but the Enneagram has been a big part of my life for about 10 years and um, part of my professional life for the last five or so years when I've been teaching and um, also doing some one on one work with folks as well. And, you know, regardless of kind of what area I'm, I'm working in, I think the, the through line or things that continually interest me are uh, exploring who we are. As humans, and how we're connected, and why that matters, and so that's a consistent theme for me through art and work with the Enneagram. Uh, like you said, I'm I'm here in Treeport, Louisiana. I've been here for about 13 years. Came here to go to college and and never left. And I live here with uh, my husband, Kirk Reedstrom, and a very high maintenance uh, cat named Nash. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> And uh, of course, it's 2020, so we've been hunkered down basically since March, um, mostly just the three of us uh, here in the house. Um, and of course, it's it's a privilege to be able to do that. But um, yeah, so we're we're here making work, uh, talking to people through screens, and <laughs> and so here I am with you today.
0: Yeah, this is great, and that's so true. Just everybody kind of stuck at home right now, but hopefully, you have your art outlets.
1: Yes, absolutely. We've added some painting stations and music equipment to the house to kind of uh, stay stimulated. So it's been nice.
0: Well, so for those of us that don't know, can you tell me more about what the Enneagram system is? And am I pronouncing that right?
1: Yeah, Enneagram. So just like the word any. A gram, it it looks like a strange word, but it's really it's Greek, uh, just simply for nine sided shape or figure. So enia being nine, gram being shape or figure, and and it is it's a it's a personality typing system uh, that combines uh, modern psychology with both spiritual and somatic wisdom to describe these nine distinct. Uh, ways of being in the world and those nine types or uh, archetypes we might say uh, are determined by a unique set of motivations and habitual patterns of behavior and and those uh, motivations and patterns kind of arise from this combination of how we think how we feel and how we behave and there there's a lot of uh groups, groupings of three going on in the Enneagram world, there's a lot of different ways to group the the numbers into triads of of threes. And the most basic way to do that is people that are uh, leading first with, with thinking intelligence or a feeling intelligence or a a doing intelligence. And it's the combination of all those that kind of um, determine these nine ways of, of being. So for me, What's unique about the Enneagram because of course there's there's a lot of personality um, tools and a lot of them are helpful and, and have their place. But uh, the Enneagram is more based on our motivation than our behavior. So it's it's not just talking about what we do, but uh, can really help us look at why we do what we do, which that ends up being more adaptive. you know you can you can do more with that information um and hopefully you know make some changes if that's what you're looking to do and and uh become kind of healthier personally relationally professionally and so that's quick rundown yeah oh
0: that's so uh, yeah kind of going to the why that's really great you mentioned um so it's based on nine kind of themes and you said triad so is it common for a person to have like their three numbers
1: yeah, yeah, great question. So um, the the school that I'm trained in, and I, I'm trained in the narrative tradition uh, for the Enneagram. I've I've studied with other other teachers and and other schools as well, but that's most of my formal training. And um, we understand and teach that that folks have one dominant type. And we would say that's that's your type, or that's your core type. Some people use the language of, like, I lead with type, fill in the blank, because there's this acknowledgement that you know the the whole uh, the whole of that circle, the whole of the the nine points on the the circle, um, is is a full picture of or, or a holistic view of the human of humanity and so we we all have to some degree these characteristics or these these behaviors or these patterns or the motivations to some extent but the way just developmental psychology works is like one of these strategies one of these ways of being um, becomes dominant early in life and then kind of solidifies throughout uh, throughout life and so you have one um, one dominant type but the system is, is dynamic, so there's a lot of movement involved. And sometimes people's pushback is like, well, I mean, you can't put me in a box. It's not like there's nine types of humans. Um, and the thing about the Enneagram is it, it's, not, um, it's not like putting you in a box, but it can help illustrate these boxes of kind of automatic reactions to, to life that we end up operating in. And can help us, you know, choose uh, different responses more mindfully. Hopefully, if uh, if that's helpful to us. And so, there's one one dominant type, and then that type uh, is connected to a few others through uh, what we call wings, which are the the numbers that are adjacent to yours on the the symbol or the circle. Uh, and then there's numbers that we. That each of us access based on a, a pattern that follows the lines of the symbol uh, that we can access in situations of stress or security uh, that give us resources to, to other uh, techniques or strategies that might help us that we don't naturally um, possess, like in our own dominant type, if that makes sense. Um, so that kind of gets that kind of gets complicated to just jump into, but. I, <laughs> Important to to illustrate, you know, you, you have one dominant type, but that doesn't mean that there's no connection to the other types.
0: No, that's a really great explanation of it. You said later in life, it becomes more apparent what your dominant one is. Does that, is it common for that to change or is there a point where it's like you're pretty much, your experiences have led you to this point unless there's like an extreme change? Yeah,
1: most um, teachers that I have have studied with teach that that type doesn't change, mm. um, and and it kind of it forms over time. So for a lot of people, it's it's really kind of starting to to crystallize or form as early as as age five, and then further solidified by about age twelve, and then of course that continues to develop to develop through young adulthood. Um, but, um, you know, I'm not comfortable with making like sweeping absolute statements mm-hmm. like, like some do. So I think, um, very rarely would a type change. I have, I have worked with a couple of people who had like traumatic brain injuries either in, um, in combat service or through like a major car accident or something. And I'm not, I'm not a neuroscientist so uh they felt like like their types had changed and i'm not going to tell them that they didn't you know but but i think that's definitely the exception uh more than the rule so so generally this it gets um gets set and and it stays uh, throughout okay. our life that
0: core is the core of you kind of that's so interesting so what would you compare it in like relation to like a myers big briggs test
1: yeah, uh, and Myers Briggs was actually the first personality tool that I was introduced to, uh, which I also found um, incredibly interesting at the time. I guess I can tell people that that my dominant type is is type four, and uh, so there's a lot of um, interest in um, identity and relationships and and depth of of knowledge and and so th- this kind of thing has always been interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, I think there's probably a lot more to do with Myers-Briggs than I have personally done, but in my experience, I think it's more helpful as a tool that can be used efficiently, um, as maybe is clear already, and will be clear from our conversation. Like the Enneagram is very complex and layered. Mm -hmm. And so to, to really get value from it. It takes a considerable amount of time um, to spend with it. I think Myers-Briggs can be more efficient. Um, I do think it's more focused on behavior characteristics than motivations for them, at least in the way that it's normally presented. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that there's a lot, whereas there's a lot of room for movement with the Enneagram, like I talked about the dynamics of, of moving toward a different number and stress and, and, in um, more secure times, it, you're still your core number, but there's movement built in. Um, in my experience, my Myers Briggs, uh, letters or the label changes mm-hmm. based on seasons. So I'm pretty, pretty s- squarely in the introvert, uh, end of the spectrum. Um, but and in and, and the feeling end of the spectrum. But the, the other two letters, um, it depends on what year I take it, they change all the time. I, uh, I enjoy when people um, want to talk about that as well. And of course, there's patterns of it's not a one to one correlation, but there are patterns of, you know, which Enneagram types tend to be which Myers-Briggs uh, types as well.
0: That's so interesting that there's correlations, but it is like the behavior and the motivation. Yeah, yeah. So you're also, uh, or you are an artist in multiple forms you mentioned. Um, do you feel like your art is connected with your work with Enneagrams?
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. I think that kind of what I alluded to um, earlier in the the kind of consistent theme or, or through line that I've been able to trace this focus on um, really identity and um, meaning making and, and relationships in whatever form um, I think is consistent between the art and the work with the Enneagram. It's just um, an exploration of the same things, but a different outlet of expression. And so I've, I feel that way between different art uh, mediums and that extends into the work with the Enneagram and um, th- that's kind of the conceptual uh, end of it but then just practically you know I use the the toolbox of design skills um, in my communication uh, degree um, in the Enneagram work because I design my slide decks and my workbooks that people get in in workshops and website and all of that good stuff so uh, there's a lot of overlap and then more explicitly I do uh, I'm doing some work around creativity and the Enneagram so I have a, a workshop that I teach called um, uh, Enneagram creativity and um, that is looking specifically at how, Uh, I believe that, that humans are just innately creative. We all have uh, creative instincts and abilities, but uh, based on personality and and the framework I'm most familiar with is the Enneagram. So, so based on uh, our Enneagram types, we're going to encounter different, um, different experiences of the creative process. So we're going to be Um, gifted in in certain ways, some things are going to be easier for us, uh, depending on our our personality, and some things are going to be more challenging. And so looking at that, what are the creative gifts of the nine types? What are the creative challenges? And what are some creative growth strategies? Um, So
0: interesting, that workshop class, is it? So if you're a nine, are you good at painting? Or when you say like the strengths and weaknesses? Yeah. What are those strengths and weaknesses? Not necessarily just like, you're going to be great at pottery three. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Not, not medium specific. <laughs> um No. So more, um I, I do think there are some, some patterns or some kind of things that we naturally drift toward based on type in terms of actual content, like the, the actual content that we choose to make or engage. And that could include medium to some degree, um, but, uh, but in the process itself as, as well. And so, for example, like something that might be really easy for me as a four might be really difficult for a friend who's a seven. And then some things that are really easy to them are going to not come naturally to me at all. And so there's, uh, practices and, um, habits that, that each person can form that, um, kind of help us compensate for some of those challenges, but also really highlight those strengths. Cause I think we all have them uh, in our own place. Uh, one thing that I've done is, um, especially when I teach like in the, in the workplace, like professionally for teams, I have a set of reflection questions that people can ask when they're they're working on a project or um, or working with with a team that's kind of a, a, a reflection point from the perspective of each of the nine types mm-hmm. because it, it really is about nine ways of seeing. you know we can um, you know you and I could be looking at the same thing and see something different. Um, just based on our angle, based on the the filter of the personality, and that scales out to you know all nine types, and uh, no one type or perspective is better or worse than the other. And so I think to get a full, you know, for for using the circle as a as a symbol for this, to get a full 360 degree view of anything, uh, it's really valuable to have all nine perspectives. Mm-hmm. And so, whether or not you have all of those in the room, you know, if if you you know a little bit about the enneagram, there's a way to kind of make sure you're you're acknowledging or honoring all of, excuse me, of those perspectives.
0: Okay, very cool. Um, when did you you mentioned your workshop with art and enneagram with creativity? When did you uh, really deep dive into this and kind of start becoming the expert in it? <laughs>
1: Yeah. So it's been kind of a natural progression. I, um, I did learn about it uh, first, learned the Enneagram in college at a, um, a leadership retreat. So it's been a little over, I guess it's been about 11 years now. And I just um, immediately was obsessed. Um, so I just, I gathered like every book I could find. Um, eventually Uh, Suzanne Stabile came to Shreveport to teach and she did that every year for a handful of years and um, I was able to help host um, some of those events and spend some time uh, with her and um, right out of college I was part of founding and running a young adult community house and so we had uh, first we lived in it and then eventually it was an internship and I helped to to mentor the interns. And so the Enneagram was just um, very valuable when you throw uh, you know eight, 20 somethings in a house together. You need tools, and this was a helpful one. And uh and so then it, it became something that I I taught um, to the interns in that setting and started also teaching a little bit back at uh, at the college. And um, then later in uh, church jobs that, that I was in, I would teach some. And um, over the last, I guess, two and a half years, almost three years, uh, I've been teaching workshops uh, around town. I've traveled some to do that. And um, last year, I spent um the majority of 2019 doing the coursework mm. for certification in the narrative tradition so i have I have one um, segment of that process left uh, to do some supervised teachings to to finish that certification uh, but that's kind of the the progression i always say my my main credential is just like a decade of obsession um but but there is this other stuff uh that sounds a little more official along the way
0: i mean 10 years in it though that's that's a lot to know
1: <laughs> it's weird to be old enough to have 10 years of experience in anything but uh here we are
0: <laughs> so if someone is first finding what their number is, um, and reading into and researching about themselves, what's something you would like them to know? Like kind of a broad question, but what do you feel like yeah. is really important when someone's like just getting into it?
1: Yeah. Oh man. Um, people often, um, they really want to know what test to take to confirm their number uh, or they want me to tell them or, or other teachers to tell them their number and um, and they want it to be a, a, a quick, efficient process. And so um, I think it's important um, to to say that like because these types are based on our motivation, um, really each person is the individual authority on what type you are. Uh, like you and I could do the same thing, but for a really different reason. Mm-hmm. And really only you are going to be able to figure out your motivation and, and me mine. And so um, I try to get people to really take ownership of the process of discovering their number. I do recommend um, attending workshops or trainings or reading the, the stories of the different types and, and really trying to identify your own in those patterns and what, what resonates as true in your experience um, rather than looking for like an external authority to tell you. Um, and so I think that, that would be a starting point. Um, it
0: isn't just go take this hundred question quiz. It's really like learning and being like, I really identify with that to own in on it.
1: Right. And, and it's a little bit of a catch 22. Cause that actually requires a, an extent of self-knowledge or, at least the ability or the willingness to, to Mm self-reflect, to be able to identify it, to then use the tool to, to go further in that process. Um, but I, it's just, it's most valuable. Um, like you get it, you get out of it, what you put into it. It's one of those things. And so I really, I try to get people to take ownership of that process and there's, there's work to be done. You know, it's not like a thing you can just be handed from somebody else, Uh, I think this tool can be for anyone at any time, but it's not going to be for everyone at every time. Mm. And so people get really excited about it um, when they get into it. And that's great. And that's understandable. Obviously I get that. Um, It's not really helpful to force it on other people. Um, And even I um, having it be such a big part of my life um, kind of wax and wane with like how much I'm focusing on it. You know, it, it's, it's a tool, it's meant to be helpful. And sometimes it's more needed than, than other times, you know? Um, so yeah, anyone at any time, not for everyone at every time. And um, it's, it's an extremely valuable tool, but it's not the end all be all. I think it's most valuable when combined with other Resources, whether that's Myers Briggs or Strengths Finder, or certainly counseling, therapy, spirit direction, um, other other research. um, You know, it's one tool of many, and I think that's important to remember.
0: So, uh, what's the source of it?
1: You're going to get a different answer on that depending on who you talk to. Um, and so there are a number of theories. Uh, some people say that it's an ancient, uh, wisdom tool. There's not really evidence for that. Um, the symbol itself, and, and maybe we can link to that in, in show notes or something. Cause I keep, I keep referencing this visual, mm-hmm. but, um, the symbol itself has been, has been used in different contexts for thousands of years, mm-hmm. um, in different, um, different wisdom traditions so like early christian desert monastics um uh the sufi uh strain of islam so that the mystical strain of islam um same with uh the kabbalah in, in the jewish tradition um and others but it, it was used as a meaning making symbol in other areas not this modern enneagram of personality that we're talking about mm. so it kind of kind of began to take shape uh, around uh, 1920s, late teens, um, through uh, G.I. Gurdjieff, who was a philosopher. Um, and so he kind of started this thing called the Fourth Way and using the Enneagram symbol. And then that made its way to South America. It's ma- It made its way to the U.S. around 1970. And it was taught first to a group of uh, Jesuit spiritual directors and some psychologists. And at first it was really, um, it was not meant to be used in the way that we're using. It was meant to be kind of one-on-one spiritual direction sort of work. Uh, and so you would you would learn a lot about your type and the expression of that, but not all nine. Mm. Um, but it kind of it kind of grew and grew, and um, Helen Palmer, who co-founded the narrative tradition school, um, was one of the earliest published authors in the U.S. And her book came out in 1988, I believe. And she she just retired actually. She's 84, but I was able to study with her uh, last year in um, in my training, which is really special. But so d- depending on who you talk to, uh, you're gonna kind of get a different rundown of that history. But yeah, that's that's one summary of how we've gotten here.
0: That's awesome though there's so much more information I know. Um, I will definitely drop that the image you're referencing in social and all of that. Um, you mentioned Helen uh, and the narrative, and you've mentioned that a few times. Can you define what the narrative,
1: yeah, yeah, the the narrative tra- the narrative Vinegram, the narrative tradition. <laughs> Um. yeah so um it is a a, a, a school of, of enneagram thought that's kind of one of the two big schools so there's the enneagram institute which is um russ hudson and don rizzo and so they um uh, p- people listening may have um run across the Enneagram Institute's website. They're the folks that do the, um, like the Ennea thoughts, the email that you can get every day for your type. And um, they've got some great books. They, that was actually how I was introduced to the Enneagram first was through the Rizzo Hudson work. That's, that's an excellent resource. And so they're, they're kind of one of the big pillar schools. And then the narrative Enneagram is the other. And so the, the premise though, and, and the unique thing about the narrative is that It's not so much about individual teachers just lecturing you about this information or writing books about it. The idea is that we learn from each other and from, um, and from our own and each other's stories. And so the narrative um, introduced this way of teaching um, by panel. And so what happens is when you go to a training, um, you, uh, let's say we were about to learn about nines, then there would be a teacher who um, is kind of guiding the, the time together. That'll do a brief, um, brief explanation, a little bit of a reflection or a meditation from the perspective of the nine. So maybe 15 or 20 minutes of, um, of a didactic uh, time. But then the rest of the, the learning time is all the nines in the room come up and sit on a panel and there's a couple of microphones and the, the teachers ask questions and we in the room learn from people sharing their own stories. And so rather than it just being, you know, words on a page or me talking about nines from the person, from my perspective uh, as a four, you're, you're hearing the lived perspective of people of these types and um, uh, first person yeah,
0: that's really and like
1: it, yeah it, it's a really powerful way to learn
0: so with your workshops and just where you are with Enneagrams uh, where do you hope to be in five years or what do you see wanting to move towards
1: I've really turned back to visual art this year more than I have um, in the previous few And that's been really rewarding and really uh, healthy, I think. And having non-screen time, having like gross motor movement with painting or collage or um, like physical work like that, rather than like the fine motor movement of on-screen designs, has been really nice. And so, um, really trying to to reincorporate visual art into uh, my professional work. Uh, I'll be working on that in the coming year. I i think in five years, I hope to be doing a lot of what I'm doing, but more sustainably. Um, and so having built um, a business around the Enneagram that is sharing and providing value for people um, and um, rewarding and not d- too draining on on my end, um, and being um, more in artist mode than designer mode um, on the the more visual side of things. I just I think that um, artist is really the sustainable identity for me. So so figuring out uh, what I have to offer like as an artist to that space. Mm-hmm um, and how I can share generously.
0: It's great though to recognize like that you're super passionate about something and you want to give, but not lose yourself. So that's really respectable. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> Thanks. I, it feels a little more like a survival thing than a commendable thing, but, um, but thank you.
0: It's <laughs> it's, <that's> <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> and I really, I, I, um, I do, I would, lo- I would love to be, Published, you know, I, I I write and I'm working on some some book proposals and um and I would love to be able to write and um I all I've always as much as I love making things I love talking about what I make with people like um the the connection that comes from the creativity is is really the driver for me and so if I can be making things and sharing them and them being valuable to people and and getting to connect with people from the work that would be that would be ideal
0: Pretty awesome awesome so what are some people or things that inspire you uh
1: people younger than me inspire me a whole lot right now uh, and, spe- and specifically i mean gen z uh, i am i am a proud millennial i think a lot of the stereotypes are inaccurate and on un- um, unfair um i i'm actually really proud of our generation and and what uh we embody in the world but with that said i am just amazed and really hopeful about gen z and the way they see the world and the change that they're already fighting for and i'm super grateful to to know and love um, people in uh in that generation um always the the lives and Stories of other artists and creative people, and I cycle through who I'm focusing on, who I'm kind of currently obsessed with, and you know, listening to all the interviews and reading all the books and and whatnot. And um, I just currently, and this is not like a, this is just who I'm into this week, but I'm I'm going back through a lot of Patty Smith's work right now, and find that really encouraging. She's definitely a multidisciplinary artist um who has done things her own way and made it work um and i gotta tell you i i this is new for me like new in the last three weeks but i have i've been converted to a taylor swift fan (laughs) yeah i i have arrived and i am glad that i have it's great to be a taylor swift fan you just get like random full albums there we have it
0: (laughs) well i love this. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. We've learned so much. Um, can you tell people where to find you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, really, anything and everything can be found at Uh Sarah with an H, and doué is spelled like duet. Uh, I any anything coming um, from the enneagram work in in this next year uh, is going to be at the Enneagram Circle. Com. And if you go to that now, you can uh, put your email in and get access to this brand new uh, resource list that I've just updated. So it's got um, podcast recommendations, book recommendations, who to follow, um, a few tests that I, you know, with a caveat, uh, recommend to people. Uh, and so the EnneagramCircle.com for Enneagram stuff and for art and uh, all of the things from me, just com, And of course I'm on Instagram and Twitter and all that
0: as well. Awesome. We'll drop all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much again. Thank you. This was great. Thank you for listening to the Lay the Course podcast brought to you by Vela Creative Co. Connect with us at laythecoursepodcast.com or on Instagram at laythecoursepodcast. Until next time.